Reading from uh, John 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And then 20, verse 30 and 31. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Is it on now? All right, good morning. (laughs) I'm going to start with prayer, mainly to settle myself. (laughs) Dear God, thank you uh, for this time and thank you for uh, this community. Thank you for us being able to ask questions. And thank you for tough questions that we get to dig into and think through and that you are there alongside us. Uh, Please help us with our understanding today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so what's the story? Um, We are looking at, is there anybody there, as the first question. Uh, But I want to start first with talking about questions. Uh, When I saw this campaign come up, it really... uh, I was really excited about it because it was really looking at, it was asking, you know, asking those gut-wrenching questions that no matter where you are in life, whether you're a Christian or not, or whether you've been a Christian for a long time, some of these questions are going to come up, and they sometimes come up again, or they come up in different forms, or there's others. It's just, they don't stop. There's not a, there's not a point where you're just like, Yep, I believe faith, everything. You know, you will have questions. And and that's the way we're designed. That's the way God intends it. Um, So, when you think of like a two or three year old, what is their favorite, one of their favorite words to say? Why? Why this? Why that? Uh, I was asking uh, my daughter, if our granddaughter is doing that yet. And she said, well, she's not saying why, she's saying what, 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 what. But then she said, she came home the other day and started saying why. (laughs) So I went from what to everything to why. Um, So this is, we, we know that stage. And it doesn't end there. It keeps going. When we build a relationship, whether it be like with our spouse or with God, you got to do that through questions. you got to do that through getting to know each other. God's not any differently than that. It's okay to ask questions. I want to point out that God welcomes those questions. He wants to be in that relationship. He wants to hear us talk. He wants to hear us challenge when we don't understand. Even if we don't understand him, it's okay. 
So, what I would like to look at first is how do we know that it's okay to ask questions, particularly of God? Um, sometimes there's this impression that you can't question it. Now, there's a point where the questioning has to stop. And, and thankfully, that's not the case. Let's take a look at the Bible for a second. It's a rather interesting collection. And sometimes I don't think we'll give it the right credit, particularly if you're not in the Christian circle. Or maybe you even forget about it sometimes. But it's not just a book. It's not one book. It's really a collection of 66 books. Some are letters. They range from about 40 different authors and across about 1,500 years. That's, a right, that's quite an amazing collection. And what, it, what it, I'm going to point out in it is that it really actually gives us some uh, examples of people questioning God. And these were not easy questions. We have Job. He really wanted to know about what his purpose of life. What is this mankind? We have Habakkuk. And these are, not, these are just a few of the examples who wanted God to do something about the evil. And then he really questioned why God did it the way he did about the evil that was happening. Um, and then you have people like Thomas. And these are all recorded. These are different times, different people, different events over history. You have Thomas who somebody tells him that Jesus rose from the dead. And he questions it. And he's, he's not going to just take it that he heard that Jesus rose from the dead. He asked for evidence. So these stories that we have in the, in the Bible, in this collection of Bible, they're, they're a set of evidences themselves, of evidences of a God that welcomes questions. But that list that we have that we're going after these next six weeks, he's there with us. He wants those. We want to engage in those. So it's okay to bring your questions to God. And we heard in the last part of uh, John there, where Terry is reading, that there's even sections and, and books like the book of John that is written for the purpose of evidence, for, for the purpose of knowing God. In this case, knowing Jesus. And we get to know God through Jesus. All right. Enough about my prelude to questions. Let's get into our question about, is there anybody there? I really like this question. Because this question, I feel like it's, it's complex. It sounds simple, but there's a lot more to it. Um, we're going to watch a video. Uh, put together by What's the Story campaign, talking about somebody's story and how they dealt with is there anybody there question. So, all right. Yeah, so the answer to the question, is there anybody out there, is that there most certainly is. My name is Paul Schmelvahl, uh, 
live here in Castlebar, County Mayo. Come originally from Castlebury in County Roscommon, about 50 miles from here. Yeah, it wasn't until my uh, teenage years that I began to question uh, religious upbringing, Catholicism in my case. Back in Castlebury, 99.9% of the people were Catholic, so from a religious standpoint, it was the only show in town. Uh, but I began to question whether there was anything in it. I thought it was fairly hollow. Now, there was a number of reasons I uh, eventually professed atheism. One was uh, because I thought there was nothing in it. Uh, but second of all, because I wanted to be different. And, and to be, uh, because of a bit of arrogance on my part, I found atheism uh, a good way to live, if you like, in the sense that it gave me plenty of opportunities for good, friendly arguments with people, and I would always argue with my friends, and I'd ask them questions like, what are you going to Mass for? What's all that about? Um, and when I was at school, uh, in, in secondary school, uh, we used to have a priest that would come in once a week to teach us Catholic doctrine, uh, sacraments of the church and that type of thing and I, I, I would harass the poor man I, I used to continually ask him where is his God bring him out here and I have a look at him I don't see any evidence for this God of yours and so much so that uh, one morning the principal of the school came in and said that he had received a phone call from the presbytery saying that the priest wouldn't be coming anymore and that we could have this period in the timetable free for the rest of the year so for a short while I became a class hero because people got a, got time off. Uh, but I felt sorry in, in, in many years later I, I did feel sorry for the priest and the way I had, I suppose, Barry Raggleton. Yeah, everything was to change in the late 70s. Uh, some friends of mine while at university in Galway were converted and they came home uh, telling, t telling me what they had found and what they had heard and what they had encountered. And, um, yeah, I, I, again, I enjoyed, I reveled in, the, in, in just having a good argument. Uh, but what I found was that they were very, very convinced. It also seemed to be making a big change in their lives and a sense of purpose and meaning that they didn't have before and, and a joy. Uh, and I spent a lot of time with them, went even to meetings that they would have arranged um, and, again, argued and fought and battled with them. Uh, one of my friends was studying science in university and he thought that if he brought home to me the evidences uh, for Christianity that that might seal the deal as it were uh, so he brought me home a book called Evidence That Demands About It by Josh McDowell and it went through things like the evidences for the reliability of the Bible and also the evidences for the resurrection uh, now whereas the, the arguments were very compelling uh, they didn't actually do the business because whereas it silenced me uh, I still found that I was not willing uh, to surrender my life to the Lord Jesus Christ because I didn't want anybody else telling me how to live I think the biggest change came one Sunday night when we were at a Bible study and they were making their way through the book of Romans and they came to chapter 1 or they started in chapter 1 I should say and it was a few verses in the middle of chapter 1 that caught my attention. Uh, it says something like this, that the wrath of God or the anger of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men 
who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. For that which is known about God is evident to them, because God has made it known to them that in, the, in, in, in his creation and in the beauty and awesomeness of creation, such that people are without excuse. And I remember a friend of mine saying that night, this verse shows that every single person has a knowledge of the existence of God. And that what they're doing, if they don't accept it, is that they're pushing it away from themselves because they don't like the implications. And he went on to say that the creation, creation within creation itself, the Lord has provided an abundance of evidence. So much so that the unbeliever has actually no excuse for his unbelief. I remember when he said that, I remember arguing with him and saying to him that I am the living proof that his Bible is wrong. Uh, that I have no knowledge of the existence of God. But we argued over and back for a while. And I remember walking home that night. For the first time I realized that he was right and I was wrong. And that was the turning point, or it became the turning point for me. By that stage, I knew what was required. I had become convinced of what my friends had been saying to me was true. I had become convinced that atheism just didn't hold mustard. It just wasn't true. and I was struggling with this whole idea of handing over my life to the management, if you like, of the Lord Jesus Christ. But eventually, I remember one time I was invited by my friends to go to Galway for the weekend. And a, a friend of ours had left their apartment free for us all to crash into. And I remember late, in the, late at night on the 16th of September 1979, I still remember the night very well. Uh, a friend of mine, he turned to me and he said, look, he says, I'm going to pray for you now. This is just before he went to bed. And I said to him, I says, if you want to do me a favor, I said, you could turn the light out. Maybe I'd have to go to sleep. Um, in other words, I kept up the, the, the hard face, the hard front, right up to the last moment. Never let anybody know what was actually going on inside in my heart. But about 15, maybe 20 minutes later, after the light had been turned out, um, All I can say is it was as if the Holy Spirit of God said, now you know what you need to do. Now is the time. What are you going to do with all that you know? What are you going to do with it? And I thank God, by his grace, by his help that night, I surrendered my life to him and put my trust for the forgiveness that I knew I needed. Put my trust for that forgiveness in what Jesus had done for me on Calvary. For me, the difference has been, first of all, a sense of purpose and meaning. Uh, knowing that I am walking with the God who created the heavens and the earth, knowing that I can be directed and guided by Him and have the wisdom that He wants me to have for life, but also to have an assurance that when I pass from this world that I go to be with Him forever, not because of what I'm doing, but because of what the Lord Jesus Christ done for me. And, And that sense of assurance, that sense of peace is... It's it's, it's so valuable, it's beyond description. So the question that has been asked is, is there anybody out there? Well, there most certainly is. The God described in the Bible. And you can know him. You can come to have a personal relationship with him through the Lord Jesus Christ.
All right. We've just heard his story, and we heard his journey through dealing with the question of anybody there. Where is your God? You know, bring him out here. And, you know, through how, how I went through his life. But you, did you notice how it really, that, that one question about is anybody there was more than just a single question of existence of God. It really pulled in everything else. To purpose, to place, to why. To, it just kept on going. So, I want to take a look at this question in, it's just a tough question in two forms. That of existence and that of presence. I think when you're dealing with this question, you have to kind of figure out, what are you asking? Are you really asking about God's existence? Or are you asking about his presence? So existence would be, like I have here, okay, is there a God? Um, Does God exist? Um, How does God fit with what we know of this world? You know, these are, these are, I would say, they're very mental questions a lot of times, is what they are. You know, they're, they're head-thinking items. And then presence, this is more like, where are you? you know, this is sometimes more of a call of, you know, is there a God? And really, you're, you're looking at, you're sometimes asking, where are you, God? Or, how can there be a God with fill-in-the-blank? And so it's not really as much about his existence as it's more about there's an existing God and what about his presence. So let's look at those two sections. I'm going to start first with existence. You heard it alluded to in the video about these three different areas. This is what I'll kind of focus on. Nature, humanity, and history. Basically, nature, created world, Humanity being, that's like our thought, um, uh, philosophy, history, the historical evidences of, of Jesus, of the Bible, of the various pieces that come together. So let's take a look first at nature. So there is so much that you can dig into to nature. Um, particularly the way our sciences are today and where they keep going, if I could keep opening up a, a box to figure out how something works and realize there's yet another box, and this box has another box, it, it's almost like those dolls. They just kind of keep going. They don't stop. And we realize that our systems, our processes, are just continually built. They have it, but they have an explanation. We can figure it out. We can figure out why something happens in, in nature and creation the way it does. Or at least that's what, we, we, what drives us. And we know if we keep digging, we tend to keep finding. We keep finding and understanding. We keep looking at how it's built. And so I've kind of appeal to, to nature is, is, this, is this fact that there's a creator here. You know, there's a system. When we look at items, uh, when, when we look at how things are created or, or things are built, we keep looking back. We look into that system. And as a Christian, I would say, well, that's because that's God, God placed. And that's, that's down inside of us there. 
and I would say that kind of our innate understanding of, of God. Um, you heard in the story he he referenced Romans, calling out that this, this that creation just has its own evidence of God itself. Uh, I want to look at Psalms more specifically. So this is Psalms 19, 1 through 6. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voices go out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of the warmth. So so this is our, I would say it's like our awe moments. You know, we we step outside, we look around, we we, we figure out how, how something's working in the body, and we're just amazed and we keep digging and I have a call up that's a evidence of a masterful creation next one humanity humanity think of like your behavior your mind your spirit your thought this is us as humans diving into things like what is justice why are we thinking of justice? Um, what, what is love? We, we just really dig into meaning and purpose. And that's, come, that's boiling and coming out of, I would tell you, an image of God. This is, this is a God-created and planted manner. But what you will also find is that you dig through cultures and dig through history is they all have a God focus. There's all, all this, so much so that there is even a, a set of studies that are trying to figure out how to link evolutionary process to the fact that every culture has some kind of explanation, has some engagement of religious of God. Trying, trying to put the two together and say, oh, it must, it must be it must be some physical element that puts us together. Where I would say step back and say, you know, there's there's maybe, because we're created in the image of somebody else, that that calls to us that way. Pascal has a pretty pretty famous quote that kind of wrestles with this philosophy of, of the humanity, the human of us, actually looking back towards God. I often heard it, hear it called out just as, we have a God-sized hole in our heart. So I pulled up his actual words and was looking at it more, and it was a bit more, there's a lot more to it than that. And it's pretty neat, so I wanted to share it. What is it then that this desire and this inability proclaim to us, but that there was once in a man a true happiness of which there now remains to him only the mark and empty trace, which he in vain tries to feel from all surroundings, seeking from things absent, the help he does not obtain in things present. 
But these are all inadequate because the infinite abyss can only be filled by an infinite and an immutable object. That's to say, only God by himself. That there's, there's a reason that we have this yearning inside of us, not just as an individual, but also as a human society, because there's God's part of that. Next, let's look at history and physical evidence. I mentioned earlier about the book, about the Bible, all the books and its own, that can be a body of evidence in itself. But if you set the Bible aside and we go and look at Jesus, we find that there are other historical evidences besides what we've picked up and collected as the Bible that are also recorded. Because this is a big event. This is not a... This, this isn't a... I would put out there for historical evidences, this is not a, a man thought up myth or creation. It, it, it happened. And we, and we can look at things like, for example, Tactius here, who was a Roman historian. And in some of his writings, he's talking about that this person named Christ had been executed in Tiberius' reign by the governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate, which correlates with what we have. We have to have Josephus. He's a Jewish historian. He is not pro-Christian. Um, and he writes, At the time, there was a wise man called Jesus, and his conduct was good, and he was known to be virtuous. This sounds kind of almost like an argument, right? Uh, that you sometimes hear, Hey, I believe in Jesus because he was a good man. Many people among the Jews and the other nations became his disciples. Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die. But those who had become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. They reported that they had appeared to them three days after his crucifixion and that he was alive. Now, Josephus here doesn't say that he believes that he believes this, but it's this. History. He's recording it. He's writing down the events. Now, in the Bible, we have the eyewitnesses that go along with that. We have the books of like Matthew, Mark, and John, who were with Jesus himself. We have Luke and Acts, who are taking first-hand accounts from other Christians and writing about it. And this is all occurring by different people written at different times, once again. So it becomes a, 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 a body of evidence here that you have to contend with. You have to consider as well. So we have nature. We have humanity. We have history. And those are just some of them. There's other ways to describe and dig into the question of, is there anybody there, um, particularly around existence? Um, but these are some of them. And what I'm saying is probably not going to answer all the questions, because it doesn't. You know, you'll want to dig into it. You should dig into it. Um, and it's okay. Let's talk. Let's talk about it.
Now let's shift. Oh, I got off my slides. <laughs> All right. Let's shift over to presence. So remember back I was saying that there's different reasons of, of meaning behind the question, is there anybody there? My opinion is this is actually where most people are at when they're asking, is there anybody there? Yes, they may tag on existence, but generally it's not usually a, a mental argument. It's usually a heart and full life argument that they're dealing with. You heard that in the gentleman's story, that this was had to do more with his whole self, not just looking at bodies of evidences that he was having to deal with. It had to do with him having to accept what that meant for him. So this is where I see the question becomes very personal. It's really a collision of God and his presence with your own life. And you have to, you can kind of ignore it and try not to think about it and try to busy it out. But as we heard from Pascal there, it's always, it's not filled. He always comes back to it. So let me tell you one of my own stories. Because I want you to think about this in regards to when, when you're hearing these questions, these tough questions, and we're going to have a whole series of them. Think about it not just as a, a external academic conversation that needs to happen, but it's really a personal conversation. These are true struggles. These are true, how is God doing this in my life? And so I'm going to share with you one of my own stories. Back in July of 1999 in Cara Springs, Terry and I were expecting our, our second uh, kid, our son. July 18th was the day that he decided to come along. And so we somehow, we were about two hours away from the hospital. Somehow we got ourselves to the hospital and everybody and our family around us. And we had a birth. And great, here is here has been our son. And it, it was just, yeah, as a birth, it's just like, oof, wow. You know, I, I just can't top that <laughs> when all that comes together. Um, so we celebrated the hospital. We took our photos. And then, of course, everybody starts making their way home. And then it's just me and Terry and our new baby. And, of course, there is other people in the hospital. But that's what it, that's what it feels like. It's just the three of you <laughs> when all this is going on. Um, and I was going back and forth between Terry and Ben. They were doing, nurses were doing their things with Terry. I know more about it now, given I've had more kids, but they were just taking care of her. And I was going back and, and, and hanging out with Ben uh, when he was over in the nursery and going back and forth. And at some point, I don't remember when, because time kind of goes away, uh, there started being comments and whispers that there was something wrong. That Terry's bleeding wasn't stopping as it needed to. Um, and so the, the nurses started working with Terry. 
And like I said, time feels like, it felt like hours started going by. I'm not sure how much. Um, but it just became worse. It just kept, the bleeding didn't stop. It just kept going and going. And Terry just got weaker and weaker. Um, it became apparent that this wasn't going in the right direction. You know, this is no longer a beautiful birth. Yes, we had a beautiful son, but something was very, very wrong. And they couldn't figure it out. And, and it was getting scary. So I picked up the phone at some point and called my parents. And I'm asked, telling them, I need you to come back. You know, they're two hours away. And it turned out they had just gotten there. We'd probably been at the hospital before that. I don't know, eight, ten hours, twelve hours, something like that. So they had a long day. But I was calling them. I didn't know what was going on, but I needed them back. And then it, was, it just, and it kept going. It kept going downhill. Eventually, they have to take Terry in for emergency surgery to kind of explore and figure out if they could stop this bleeding. She's getting very weak. And there's a, a point where they have Terry on the, on, the stro- on the stretcher for whatever it's called, the table. The <laughs> and they're going to wheel her off into surgery. Um, and I want to pray with her before she goes. She just can't talk much at this point. We don't know what they're going to find. Um, and all I can really say is, dear God. And that's where it, that's as far as I can go. Have you been there like that? So this is what I mean about presence. This is where I'm in my own story is I'm asking is anybody there but it's asking my dear God is really where God where are you you know or God come here because this is this is this is ah I can't even put the right words to it and really it's what happens is it's more like this blank slide all that stuff about does God exist kind of just goes out the door. All the platitudes, all the arguments, and it really comes down to just kind of the raw reality of it's you and it's God. At that point, it was me and I am, I'm looking forward. I'm just kind of taking it piece by piece, but really it's just me. I got my son, my new son, and it seems like I may or may not have to, you know, a wife come back. I don't know what's going to happen next. But there's God. And what I realize as I'm looking back over on this, and I was even preparing for this again uh, for, for today, that for me, in that moment, I couldn't have told you the reasons why God was there. Or say that I had like wonderful songs or prayers or reassurance going on. But what I can say is I knew God. And so my statement of dear God was really just a, 
I'm putting out my hand there with God too, and he is there. So it really wasn't just me, my son, my wife. God was there, and I knew it. Um, I knew, even though I was distraught, that whatever is coming next, that God was there with me. Now, you see Terry is here, so you know that it all turned out great. <laughs> and we have a wonderful son. Name's Ben. Um, he, there he is, all red, with his, with his sister at the time, and then later, and then Terry and then center there with him now, just uh, earlier this year. Um, so this story, you know, has a beautiful next step to it. But regardless of which way it would have gone or how things go, God was there. And I know that. But when I was looking back at how I was there in life, it was, I wasn't questioning God or thinking through academic. It was just, God's right there, right there next to you. You know, right there with me as we go through it. Um, So, let's talk. I want to hear those stories. We want to hear those stories. As Christians, working with people who are non-Christians, think about your own story. Put your, put your life into these questions of, of importance and make that connection. Let's talk. We're not going to necessarily have the answers. I can't explain, like, why I had, at that time, I could not explain why I had that such strong reassurance that God was there with me in the, in the hospital room. I know more now, even though I had him then, but it's just kind of the way it goes. Um, and you've got to keep questioning, you've got to keep learning, you've got to keep digging. So this brings me... Oops. Maybe I missed a slide. Ah, it was on there. Right. When I look at the beginning of John, and I was wondering why they, they tied this, this verse to looking at, is there anybody there? Um, when I think of my own life, one of my own life stories in God's presence, I can see why, why my dear God was God there. And it's because that in the beginning, God... The beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome that. I know that hope. I know that overcoming. I know that presence of God. Is there anybody there? Yes. And I would love to, to chat and share, and I would love to see everybody take that on with others too. Make it personal. Share how you know God. If you want to discuss further, I'll be up here around the front during the tea time if you need to dig into some of these questions. Um, it can be academic. It can be personal. But let's just talk. That's what God wants of us. It's a relationship. And it starts with understanding here. Thank you.